Welcome into yet another edition of Please Bear With Me, wherever you're listening from. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Actually had a fella at church, Ronnie Collins, walked up to me today and said, Hey, I listen to your podcast and I love it. So even in El Campo or if you're in Waco, Dallas, Houston, whatever, Austin, thanks for listening. Glad to be back with you another week here in Houston, Texas, in the studio with my co-producer, Martin Thomas. How you doing, buddy? Doing well, doing well. Good. Really enjoy that Iowa State game and happy to be back home. Absolutely. Martin and I sat together at that Iowa State game and that's, of course, where we have to begin today. What a thriller. I mean, that game, before we talk about what it means for Baylor, let's just talk about that game had everything you love about college football, right? Absolutely. I mean, but literally, I mean, the first half was kind of a defensive battle that gritty tough you know defensive back and forth that uh i don't think we see very often anymore but when you see it it's super i mean i love that kind of play you know fighting for field position and both defenses playing really well you had that you had deep balls you had quick strike scoring you had a comeback by iowa state you had blocked field goals you had missed field goals you had a made game-winning field goal you had uh charlie brewer running around like crazy brock purdy running around like crazy insane catches on the sideline touching toes down in bounds i mean good grief just just a fantastic college football game uh, coach rule actually said after the game in his press conference in the words of maximus from gladiator are you not entertained right I think everybody who watched that game had a good time. And for Baylor, this is about the best result you could have had. I actually told someone earlier today, I think that result is more impressive than if Baylor had gone into the fourth quarter and shut it down and won 20 to nothing. And I'm not saying that Baylor played its best game by allowing Iowa State to come back in the fourth quarter. What I'm saying is that what Baylor proved is that they can both jump out to a lead over a good team or at least an evenly matched opponent and can finish a game and can have that game-winning drive. There were a lot of emotions through that game from just thrill to feeling super overconfident there going into the fourth quarter up 20 to nothing to being nervous to being really worried when Iowa State got that third touchdown to once again just jubilee and joy when Baylor hits that field goal to win the game. I think your your statement holds a lot more credence if we had finished that uh, game-winning drive with a touchdown and not a, a field goal. Why? Because ultimately what a field goal means is that you didn't have what you needed to do to take it to the house. No, 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 no. Baylor, I completely disagree. Baylor did what they had to do to win the game. We needed three points. We needed two points or more to win the game, and we got them. That's how I think you got to look at it. You know, a game-winning drive is a game-winning drive, whether you punch it in the end zone or kick the field goal. Certainly a, a touchdown would have been more exciting or more impressive, I suppose. But the fact is... Baylor got the ball down the field in a hurry with, I think we only had one timeout going into that drive, if I remember correctly. And, you know, you're completing passes over the middle, completing passes to the sideline. Brewers got a couple of scrambles in there, making things happen. I mean, I don't think you could have asked for much of a better game-winning drive. Certainly uh, could have punched it in there at the end, but I don't think we can pick that apart too much. All that to say, I think that's the best result we could have had as Baylor fans because, again, Baylor showed the tenacity to come back. I mean, that's tough. When you give up three straight touchdowns to go down, if it had been a back-and-forth game the entire time, then, like, you're almost expecting to get the ball back and, like, whoever has the ball last is going to win. You're almost expecting that kind of game. Like, last possession wins. This was a game where Baylor very much feels in control pretty much the entire game and then all of a sudden Iowa State has 100% of the momentum Baylor's offense is kind of stalled out Iowa scored three consecutive touchdowns and now it's do or die and Baylor did 
So very impressed. I looked over at my uh, buddies during the game when that final drive began, and I said, you know, if there's anybody I want at quarterback with three and a half to go down by one, it's Charlie Brewer. And, you know, Charlie Brewer barely completed 50% of his passes Saturday. He definitely had some throws that were a little off, definitely looked skittish in the pocket. But that guy, I mean, we've seen it. This is the third year we've seen it. We're going to see it next year. That guy wins football games in tight spots. I don't know what else you say. Like, I knew when we got the ball back even though the offense had been stalling. This is a game-winning drive. Charlie Brewer is not going to go down without winning this football game. And that's his best quality as a quarterback. He's an accurate thrower of the football. He's quick. He can move with his legs. But more than anything, he's a winner. I know that's maybe that's cliche coach speak. But he's a stud. So that's my general takeaway from Iowa State. I, I've got a few more things I'd like to hit. But what, what do you think, Martin? Generally, I was entertained through the whole game. I really enjoyed it. I w- strongly would have preferred to not have Iowa State score when we had kept them to zero points for so long. Uh, and then we just kind of, I don't know, it felt like we handed them the reins for a little bit. Yeah, and my my dad actually was talking about this after the game. And in a minute, I'm going to read some Twitter comments from listeners. And my dad was one of them, and he said this on Twitter as well. Baylor switched defensive tactics in the fourth quarter. And played, my dad was calling it a prevent. I don't think it was a prevent, but it was definitely a just rush three and put everybody back in zone coverage. I mean, Brock Purdy diced us up. And, you know, that it comes back to if you've done something that's worked for three quarters, which in this case I think was putting a ton of pressure on Purdy, you know, blitzing linebackers and mixing up the scheme there in terms of pass rush. And then in the fourth quarter, we seemed content to just sit in zone. And Purdy picked us apart. And I even kept looking at it and saying, why aren't we playing more man? You would think that we have the secondary talent to play man in that situation between Tejada, Jamison Houston, Grayland Arnold. You know, even Blake Lynch at linebacker covering a tight end or a running back. We've got the talent to play man, and we seemed content to sit back in zone. And Purdy... Brock Purdy's a good quarterback, and he diced us up and made some plays with his legs as well. That is, to me, the second most disappointing element of the game, the decision to change your defensive tactics there in the fourth quarter, uh, and it appeared to allow Iowa State to get back in the game. In terms of the most frustrating aspect of the game, I, I heard a lot of people around me and saw a little bit of it on Twitter, and maybe you felt this way. A lot of people fussing about the offense and I want to remind you of a couple of things firstly Iowa State has a tremendous defense Matt Campbell is a tremendous defensive coach and so to not move the ball effectively all the time against Iowa State is to be expected I know that to the amateur eye including mine I'm not claiming to be a a coach or a former you know college football player right maybe I can get Ganaway to give me some perspective on this but to the naked eye, it does look like Baylor's content to run the same three or four plays over and over, but I guarantee you that's not what was happening. And I know Rule even talked about in his post-game press conference, Jeff Nixon really changing up the play calling there in the second half from what they had been doing in the first half and from what they had been doing all season. And to us, it may not look like it when balls are being dropped right I mean four or five drops by the receivers in that game for us it may not look like we're doing much different when running backs continue to struggle to get long gains even though you can draw up a hundred different ways to run the football and maybe we were doing that it may not look like we're doing anything different when Charlie's under constant duress and so a play can never fully develop I heard somebody hollering about a play at one point where, oh, why would we try that? It wouldn't even work. Well, Charlie was running for his life a second into the play. There's no time for any route tree to develop if Charlie doesn't have time to throw the ball. I mean, so in my opinion, what we saw yesterday in terms of the offense stalling and struggling to be consistent is far more 
of an indictment on the player's ability to execute than the coaching or the play calling. And I don't always say that, but I think yesterday that was the case. And I don't, and to be clear, I don't just, I'm not ripping Baylor's offensive players for not executing. I think they went up against the best defense they've faced this season by far and struggled a little bit. And that's okay. Iowa State's one of the four best defenses in the Big 12. So we'll be all right. Yeah, in terms of the beginning of conference play, this is exactly what we want to see. At the end of the day, it's a win, and that's all that matters. Yeah, well, and going back to what I said about this being exactly the results that I like, even more so than if we had won 20 to nothing, you you need those kind of wins to get you through conference play. This isn't the only game it's going to come down to the last possession. This coming Saturday against Kansas State might come down to the last possession. You know, Texas coming into Waco, I think, will come down to the last possession. If we play surprisingly well in Stillwater, that game could come down to the last possession. I mean, Baylor's going to be in some tight football games this season. And so I think for this one to end up, I mean, we went up 20 nothing, but the whole first half until the very end there, it was 0-0. And then there there at the end, it was 21-20 with a chance to win it. Being in those tight situations, that was really good for our team. And again, that's one of those games that last year we lose. We lost, and, and even in that one-win season, we lost a lot of one-possession games. And so really a, a good sign that we were able to win this one. Speaking of big win, probably... Matt Rule's biggest win to this point as a head coach at Baylor. That in the bowl game. You know, bowl win's always big, but I know a lot of people had us as a favorite in that game, whereas this game, a lot of people were picking Iowa State. This news dropped just a few minutes before we started taping this tonight. David Smoke, sources at Baylor have told me that Matt Rule has reached an agreement on a contract extension that will take his deal with Baylor through March of 2028. Rule told the team about this extension before they began their workout. How good a news is that? That's a long time. He's earned it, man. I mean, I am so about Coach Matt Rule. He's earned it. And uh, there was some more tweets following that about, you know, it, it seems as if Matt Rule believes that Baylor is a place where he can establish a really special program. And let's and let's be clear. Art Bryles established in terms of wins and losses and consistency on the field, Art Bryles established a winning program at Baylor. Uh, not not justifying some of the other stuff and and not ad, not being pro Bryles here, let me make that super clear. Um, but yeah, ba- he proved that Baylor is a place you can win 10 games consistently you can win a big 12 championship you can compete for a playoff spot and i'm starting to think here in season three that matt rule is a better head coach than art briles in football terms certainly in other terms we would agree on that i think we can talk purely about football at this point yeah yeah i mean i think matt rules a better head coach than art briles i do they're very different in their styles of play. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a 180 difference. But he's doing exactly what he did at Temple. Temple, it was two wins, six wins, ten wins, ten wins. Baylor, it was one win, six wins, regular season, seven, you know, tech on the bowl. And now we're at four and oh. And I don't, I'm not saying we're necessarily going to get to 10 wins this year. I, I think I picked us at nine. But nine or 10 wins in three seasons at the helm when you essentially rebuilt a program from zero? It is impressive to say the least. Yeah. Contract extension through 2028 for Coach Rule. I couldn't be more happy about that. He's earned every penny that he gets at Baylor. I think he's going to continue to do excellent things at Baylor, especially, you know, with guys like Joey McGuire on staff. I mean, this there's no ceiling for this program. And I I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. Baylor is never going to be Alabama. 
and win national championship after national championship. But is a playoff run possible under Matt Rule? Heck yeah, I think so. I won't say when, but yeah, with by 2028, yeah. Yeah, we can do that. It's funny, Iowa State fans would give me heck for saying that, but their program's won 10 games, I think, once. I think I saw that stat this last week. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not a great stat for them. <laughs> no. No. It's all right. We sent them back home with a loss. So, yeah, big news today. Matt Rule, 2028, head coach, hopefully to stay. You know, I know there was some fear about him leaving for the NFL the past couple off seasons. I don't think he signs this extension unless he's planning to stay. Doesn't mean he'll stay through the entire contract, right? Who knows? But I think at least for the next couple of seasons, we can rest assured that Matt Rule knows that he's building something really sweet and is going to see it through. And I'm happy with that. All right, so awkward transition here, but I am sitting in Common Grounds in Waco, cutting the podcast together for you and realized I didn't provide a transition here. Though my producer, when we were recording this, segment at halftime of the Dallas Cowboys game this past weekend told me I should and apparently I didn't so here we are I asked some of you to send me tweets this past weekend after the game about how you feel about Baylor football or if you had any questions about it and so coming up here in just a second what you will hear is me reading your tweets and giving a quick response to each of them. So thanks for listening this week. Sorry about the awkward transition. Here we go with the tweets. So first tweet that we've got here, it was my dad. I mentioned this just a second ago. Steve Swingler says, when a defense has has worked a shutout for three quarters, don't change what is working. Prevent defense doesn't work for an entire quarter, especially against a good quarterback. Again, I think prevent defense is not technically what was happening, but it was definitely less pa- less pressure, zone coverage, and I agree. I think we should have stuck with whatever we were doing the first three quarters. So that's a reasonable comment for sure. Grant Settle, at Grant East Settle on Twitter. Who did we beat yesterday? I don't remember. <laughs> I replied and said, somebody's so mediocre, there's nothing to remember them by. In all seriousness, <laughs> I in all seriousness, Iowa State's a, a good football program, and Matt Campbell's a good head coach, and it wasn't an easy win, and it was a it was a great college football game. But with all the shade that Iowa State has been throwing at Baylor on Twitter, I found that tweet funny. T Rex says, "Ha ha 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 ha." Hashtag sickum. All I gotta say about yesterday. I agree. Good talking point. Yeah, got Very a lot well to said. say back on that one. What's next, Sikkim? At Jake underscore needs. Love that we start the game on D with the kickoff to set the tone. The D line has been playing lights out. Linebackers and secondary flying around. Agree with my dad, but ISU got breaks on those conversions. Hasty is my permanent protection. Wide receivers blocking. Number four, Singletary of my era. There's about seven talking points there. Let me hit them rapid fire. Yes, I also like that we start the game on defense under Rule. That's something Bryles never would have done. He wanted to score first. You know, Rule wants to start on defense first and get a stop. I think for this team, this is the first Baylor team maybe I can ever remember where the defense is definitely better than the offense at this point. And so, yeah, I agree. Put your defense on the field first. D-line lights out. No question. No question especially after losing two rush defensive ends right at the start of the season in August. The way that particularly the three starters have played, James Lynch, Bravion Roy, and James Lockhart, they've played incredibly well. And for a three-man front, they have gotten a lot of pressure. Linebackers and secondary flying around. This is the best open field tackling team I've seen at Baylor. And yeah, they get to the ball quick. It's been really fun to see. They get sideline to sideline really quick. Breaks on the conversions. Yeah, Brock Purdy was... He he had three or four that he just launched up a prayer and his receivers really helped him out. Uh, again, credit to Iowa State. All of them played a good game. Hasty, permanent protection. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute in response to another tweet. Wide receivers blocking downfield. That's been a trademark of these rule teams 
since year one, even in that one-win season. Uh, guys like Denzel Mims and Jalen Hurd last year and even Chris Platt, excellent blockers downfield. Number four, Singletary of my era. That's a little exaggeration. I've been loud on this podcast about Clay Johnston being an excellent player. He is not Mike Singletary. Let's be very clear. No linebacker since Mike Singletary has been Mike Singletary and probably never will be Mike Singletary. Go, I'm not even going to read you his statistics. Go Google his statistics. Over 200 tackles in two different seasons. That's off the top of my head. I think that's true. Nobody's Mike Singletary. But Mike Singletary think, is. That's right. Mike Singletary is Mike Singletary. Thanks for the tweet. Lots of questions about the running backs here on the Twitter mentions. This is the first one from at OFC underscore Dibble. Which one of the running backs is going to step up and be the main guy, or do we continue to go by committee? Ebner, best runner, question mark. Hasty, best blocker, question mark. Love it, short yardage guy, question mark. Yes, we're going to keep doing it by committee. One, because I don't think there's one guy that has separated himself from the other two. And two, because I think that's how Rule likes to do it. I think Rule likes to use a plethora of playmakers on offense. And you you got it exactly right. Jack Ryan is is what it says this guy's name is. I have a feeling that's not his real name. <laughs> but you got it exactly right, Jack, uh, Jack Ryan. Ebner, I wouldn't say best runner. I would say Ebner is the most explosive player of those three. Has the potential to take the ball to the house on any play. Very explosive, shifty. Uh, I would actually say Lovett's probably the best runner. If you're just talking getting yards, getting upfield, he was our leading rusher yesterday with 50-some-odd yards. Lovett's probably the best running back in terms of just getting yardage out of the three. And Hasty is certainly the best blocker. Hasty is excellent in pass pro. I mean, there was a clear difference in how much time Charlie had yesterday when Hasty was in there picking up blitzes as opposed to the other two. At D underscore O-O-L-S, Ools, Duels. When the team started celebrating on the sideline, I knew they were going to mount a comeback. Yeah, I noticed that as well. They were getting hype. Reminded me of the old days. T-Rex again. Hasty can block, but he needs to stop dancing and hit the hole. Yeah, I agree. It's it's odd to me that Hasty dances so much because Hasty seems like a guy who likes contact. And he's put on so much weight since he got into Baylor as a freshman. I'm surprised he doesn't just put his head down more and, and just get upfield. I think he's trying to break the big play too often. I don't know. At Benji Benjamin. What's up, dude? Will Newman play every week or will he be limited to four games so he can redshirt? Benji, I have no insight on this. I'm going to guess he's going to redshirt. I don't think he would have started the season on the bench if we intended for him to play this season because he is one of the five or six best linemen we've got. I think they're going to redshirt him. That, that's that's my short answer. Oh, so fly. This is a good one. Charlie Brewer was asked postgame if he wakes up in the morning and sees Brock Purdy in the mirror. He should have said, he doesn't see losers in the mirror. <laughs> Funny. They are very similar quarterbacks. I mean, they're both gutsy guys who aren't afraid to take a hit, who gain yards with their feet, who can make the big throw. I think Charlie is a more accurate passer. I think Purdy's a little bit of a stronger arm, but very similar quarterbacks. Cooper Santos. Here's where I want to talk more about Hasty. Cooper Santos at SickemCoop13 asked me, do you think the staff will go straight Ebner and love it at some point? No. There's no chance, and it's 100% because of Hasty's value in pass protection. I think Ebner and Lovett could end up having more carries than Hasty the rest of the way. Uh, that's not out of the question, especially Lovett. But Hasty is invaluable in pass pro. I mean, he's a rock star picking up blitzes and laying quality blocks. You cannot take that off the field, especially when you've already got an offensive line that's that's struggled. Got to have Hasty in there. So, I mean, I think in terms of like a third down back, 
you go with Hasty. Not not be he is a decent receiver out of the backfield. He's made some good catches this season, but mostly because if you need an extra guy in pass pro, you got to have Hasty back there. Got to. And he, that may not seem as valuable as a guy that can tote the rock, but it is. I think. I think the ability to pick up the blitz is just as valuable, especially in passing situations, obviously. At Don Brew, Braden Cole says, Most underrated pass rush in college football. Consistent pressure with bringing three. Purdy hasn't had that much rush all season, even against Iowa. James Lynch will definitely be a third-round pick. I'll be honest, I don't pay enough attention to how people are ranking defensive lines across the country. I, I don't know if I've paid a lot of specific attention to that, but I agree. I don't think a lot of people think defense when they think Baylor, for good reason. And our defensive line has been kind of hit or miss for several seasons, even back to Bryles and, and previously. But, yeah, this, this unit's really good. Again, especially the starting three. Really, really good. And I know we pivoted to that three three five. Defense when again those two rush ins left the program in August, and yeah they've been nothing but impressive. It helps that a guy like James Lynch can play both inside and outside, and it helps that Lockhart has taken significant steps this year. They've been fantastic. As far as James Lynch being a third round pick, I said before the season on our preseason episode, I think he's a first round pick. Granted, when I tweeted back to Braden and replied. He pointed out that Andrew Billings went in the fourth, which is astounding to me with how good Billings is. But he's right. You never know at the NFL draft. I think Lynch is, could definitely be a third-round pick or better. Um, I said before the season, we better hope that he doesn't leave after this season. And the way he's playing, he might. Tim Watkins, of course, uh, one of our sponsors for this show uh, with Bears Illustrated, tweeted, Brewer proving to be clutch in winning moments. Bears learning to win these tight games. That will pay off this year. Pretty much exactly what I said in the open. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. This was Brewer is who you want at the end of a game, making plays. And the big comeback for Iowa State, allowing Baylor to have a game-winning drive, I think does help us going forward into Big 12 play. At Mid-American Sports, great win yesterday. The next step is to go win tough games on the road. Great opportunity next Saturday. Let's go take it. Totally agree. We'll talk more about next Saturday here in a minute. The Grizz of BU. Taekwon making it difficult for opponents to bracket Mims. It's so funny. Martin, we have a mutual friend named Michael Bartlemy. This is true. Michael's been on the show before. He has to be on this week. I don't think I'm going to let him. (laughs) Michael and I had an argument before the game because I maintain that Tyquan Thornton is the second best receiver on this team behind Mims. And I don't even know who Mike... Do, do you even know who Michael said he thinks is the second best or is better than Thornton? No, he just realized that he likes talking crap, though. Well, we all knew that. <laughs> Anyhow, Tyquan, I've said you know, since this offseason, is going to be the second best receiver on this team. With Jalen Hurd leaving, you're going to have Mims and then Thornton. Totally proved to be the case. Mims had the dominant first half. They adjusted. They doubled him. Thornton went off. In the second half, Taekwon had nine catches for 123 yards and a touchdown. I mean, absolutely stepped up, made the plays, and you're right. Opponents will still double Mims. Mims is still the best receiver on this team, but... Thornton is going to have the opportunity to keep making big plays, and I think he will. Also, he got robbed of that one catch on the sideline, but I won't linger there. At BaylorGrad02, speaking of Thornton, hot take. Tyquan Thornton is our best receiver. He's everything Mims is, but faster. I think it's going to be a big year for him. I'll say 13 touchdowns for the year. He's got to score a lot more touchdowns real quick if he's going to get to 13. Actually, Mims is pretty well on his way to 13 or more. But I'll say this at Baylor Grad 02. Um, Tyquan Thornton is not better than Denzel Mims today. He's not. Don't, don't overreact to yesterday. He is not. You said he's got everything Mims has, but he's faster. I agree he's probably faster, but it's not by a wide margin. 
And he what he does not have is the size. Mims is 6'3", and he's strong. Thornton, I forget the height at the moment, but he's around six foot and not at all the physical specimen that Mims is in terms of like strength. So I don't think you can I don't think it's fair to say, well, Taekwon has everything Mims has, but he's faster. I think Taekwon's probably a little faster. Denzel's a lot bigger and stronger, can go get those jump balls. I think, I think Taekwon could by his senior year be just as good or better than Denzel Mims as a as a production as a productive wide receiver. I would buy that. But today, no. Sorry. Just he's just not. Nathan Smith at Nathan B. Smith, very faithful listener of the podcast, gives me a lot of feedback most weeks. He says James Lockhart is a difference maker. Entire defensive line group is on point, but Lockhart eating up double teams like it's nothing, an absolute beast. Yeah, and he was on our preseason list of players that needed to step up this year if Baylor was gonna, you know, take the next step forward. And he has so far. He's played excellently. Need to keep that up. Need to keep those three guys healthy. I mean, when when Bravion Roy went down yesterday, I was really worried. Fortunately, it was nothing. He came back. He tweeted after the game. He's good. But, yeah, Lockhart having an outstanding season. And he's a senior. You know, he needs to if he's going to have a shot at a pro career or whatever. So, glad he's playing well. Dylan Reese at Dylan Reese 12. Best defense we've had since the 80s. I said it yesterday as well to my friends. I said, this is the best defense I've seen in my lifetime. And I was born in 92. For some of you, that makes me really young. For some of you, maybe I'm uh, older than you if you're at Baylor or whatever. But, you know, I mean, yeah, this is a great defense. And we still haven't played an elite offense. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how this defense plays in Stillwater against Gundy's Oklahoma State or against Oklahoma. But certainly this defense looks better than any defense I've seen Baylor have before. I agree. At RCM9364, that's one of my best friends, Ryan Martin, says, Even though Chuck has engineered a few clutch drives, I was nervous about that last drive. I think it shows a positive sign of growth and maturity for the whole offense to come through when it matters most. I guess we felt differently about that, Ryan. I was not nervous. I mean, I was nervous. Like, it was a big game, and I was feeling all the butterflies and stuff. But I, I wanted Charlie Brewer to have the ball in that moment, and I really did. I really did in the back of my mind, and then I said it out loud to the guy. Uh, Michael Bartleman actually sitting on my left. I said, I want Charlie Brewer with the ball, and he's going to win it. He's going to win it. And he did. So... You know, again, I think it was good to see the entire offense step up on that last drive, but Brewer, he just, when the lights are brightest and when the heat is hottest, Charlie Brewer is going to make a play to win the game. I really believe that. I mean, he even gave us a shot in Austin against Texas last year, and, you know, there was a call that is one of the worst calls I've seen in college football, and then, you know, he threw two jump balls in the end zone to try to win the game that just... Didn't get, didn't connect, but you know, almost won that game in Austin last year too. I mean, the guy is going to win when the lights are brightest, when the heat is hottest. Charlie Brewer is going to win the game. I really believe that. So that's all the tweets I've got right now as I sit here recording the pod. If you sent one that didn't get read, I'm sorry. Feel free to keep interacting. Send us one next week. Maybe we'll get some of you on next week. But thank you to all of you who gave us such great feedback. And yeah, what an exciting game. Good talking points all around. Sounds like the majority of us are, are wondering most about the running back group and if any of them are going to step up. I, I will remind you, I think a lot of the issue is still the offensive line more so than the actual backs themselves. But it's, it's fair to ask the question, who's, which running back is going to step up? How are we going to handle the carries going forward? And the second probably highest point of chatter, the defense, specifically the D-line, putting outstanding pressure on Purdy yesterday. Couldn't be happier with that. So thanks for the feedback on Twitter. Looking ahead to this coming Saturday against Kansas State, I think this is a game that I was not worried about preseason. And today, worried is not the right word. We could very well lose this game if we don't play our best on Saturday. Kansas State looking much better than I think most people projected losing Bill Snyder. But they are just that program just keeps rolling. It's it's been very impressive what they've done this season. I just want to give you a couple of numbers as we look ahead to this game, just so we because I haven't watched Kansas State a lot this year. I, I watched the highlights from the Mississippi State game, and I think even when it was going on, I tuned in for a couple of minutes at a time. But I, I really didn't watch much of that game, and I haven't much watched much of their games. But Kansas State 
is doing what they've always done, and they're doing it just as well as they've always done it. They are running the ball down people's throats, and they are playing good defense. What might surprise you is that as a team, they are averaging 36.3 points per game thus far. 36 points per game. So this is an offense. This is not an offense that's content to score 17 points and then hold you. They're trying to score, and they've done a good job so far this year. Of course, their quarterback Skyler Thompson, a notable player in the conference, he has completed 61.8 percent of his passes for four touchdowns. You know, he's not throwing the ball that much, only 604 yards on the year, because that's not what they do. But when he does throw it, he's doing a really good job of making good throws, and he's not turning the ball over. No interceptions, and he's only been sacked three times. And when you combine three sacks for Skyler with some of these rushing numbers that I'm about to give you, what you're going to see is Kansas State's offensive line is excellent. Let me read you some of these rushing numbers. Here are what their running backs. We'll go five deep on these running backs, Martin. They've got five running backs that have more than 10 carries. Here's what they're averaging per carry. 5.8, 6.6, 4.4, 5.8, 4.2. Add in Skylar Thompson and Holcomb, who's their backup quarterback who gets in on some packages to run the ball. They're averaging 5.4 and 5.7, respectively. So... Every time they're running the ball, just about, they're getting five yards. I mean, it's just ground and pound, five yards, five yards, five yards, with seven different guys running the football. Their offensive line is having an outstanding season. And so I think the biggest storyline going into the game Saturday is how do Baylor's front three in particular, Lynch, Roy, and Lockhart. You can add in the you know a guy like Clay Johnston or Blake Lynch on the blitz. Both guys had big plays blitzing on this past Saturday. How is that defensive front going to fare against a dominant offensive line? And a dominant offensive line that's played well against an SEC team. I don't think Mississippi State's a very good team this year. I think they're pretty run-of-the-mill middle of the pack or even towards the bottom of the SEC. But SEC defensive linemen are always stout. And they really operated well against Mississippi State. So how is this Baylor defensive front going to fare against Kansas State's offensive line? Huge talking point. For Baylor, I think you've got to be focused on stopping James Gilbert. He's got 321 yards on the year, 5.8 per carry. He is their leading rusher, and he has the most touchdowns on the team with four. But again, they've got seven guys that have carried the ball with a considerable amount of touches. So, you know, you can lock in on one back or the other. The reality is we're going to have to bow up and stop the run. We did that against Iowa State. Can we do it against an even better rushing team in Kansas State? We'll find out. The other factor, of course, is going on the road. We did not look very good in Houston against Rice on the road. Rice is not half the team Kansas State is. I mean, point blank, that's that's the reality of it. I think Baylor is going to be better prepared for this game than they were for Rice. I don't think we're overlooking Kansas State. I don't think Rule's going to let that happen. And part of that is the next week you come back home to Texas Tech, and with Bowman out, that's a almost a guaranteed win, I think. So, you know, it's not like you're looking ahead to the next match. You know, it's, it's Kansas State. It's Manhattan, Kansas. That's a great environment for a football game. Rowdy crowd. How is Baylor going to respond in that environment to adversity? Martin, you want to offer up a score prediction for Kansas State? I'm thinking 35-28 Baylor. Yeah, I think you're in the right range in terms of points. I think it's going to be closer, man. I think this might be another field goal game. I don't know if it comes down to a literal field goal to win the game, but I think this is a two- or three-point game. I think... I also, though, I think both defenses are going to play well. I think we're going to hold them considerably under their 36 points per game. And I think they're going to present some challenges for us. I'll take Baylor 30-28. to 28. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a narrow, another narrow win, barely escaping Manhattan. But if you do that, man, you come back 4-0, or uh, excuse me. But if you do that, you come back 5-0, 
a pretty much guaranteed win against Tech without their starting quarterback, 6-0. and There is no telling how well Baylor could play to close out the season with that confidence and that momentum. And I'm already hearing some people talk about, do we have a shot at the second spot in the Big 12 championship game? We're all assuming Oklahoma's going to win the conference and probably go undefeated through conference play. They'll have some tight games, but I think that's a reasonable assumption. I mean, with Lincoln Riley and Hurts at quarterback, that there's no stopping that machine. I don't think it's out of the question that Baylor could get a spot in that Big 12 championship game. I didn't predict it preseason. I still think we're going to lose in Stillwater. I still think we're going to lose to Oklahoma. So a lot of it comes down to how Texas finishes in conference. But there is no question that Baylor is in the hunt and is a dark horse candidate to get there. And I think we lose to Oklahoma when they come to McLean. But in a Big 12 championship game, I've already told you how I feel about Matt Rule and Charlie Brewer today. I'm talking way too far ahead of myself, but, (laughs) you know, I don't want to get excited. We'll see, man. It's going to be a good season. It's going to be a good finish to the season. Baylor's done everything you could ask of him through four games. Tim Watkins, Bears Illustrated, joining me on Please Bear with me. Tim, you skipped the game Saturday. I did. I actually stayed home. Um, I had uh, some uh, youth soccer and youth uh, basketball for my daughter and son to attend, and the game didn't get over until after 1 o'clock, so I wouldn't have been able to make it down to Waco until like 3 o'clock, so I just came home and, and watched it in air conditioning on a very large screen in my, uh, in my living room, unfortunately. Well, as someone whose parents were always at every single one of my sporting events, I can't hate on you too hard, but you missed out, brother. It was a good time. I did. It, hey, you know, this was a this was the kind of game that the Baylor fans really expected. Uh, one that was tight, late in the last minute, uh, depending on a redshirt freshman kicker that had missed the 39 yarder against Rice, had missed the 38 yarder in the first quarter after the first drive to nail a 38 yarder to to win the game with 21 seconds to go. It was two teams that are evenly matched. Two teams that quite honestly look a lot alike. Uh, be it an athletic dual threat quarterback, be it the uh, the three man front dime focused defense, be it two uh, defensive minded head coaches that want to balance the attack from both sides of the ball, uh, and Baylor was just just a little bit better on Saturday. I've been kind of maintaining all week that I'm almost more impressed with the win because Baylor had to fight back in the fourth quarter than I would have been had it just been a twenty to nothing final. Do you feel good about that as well, or are you worried going forward? There's some stat that like Baylor has given up 60-some-odd of their 80-some-odd points in the fourth quarter. How do we interpret this going forward? Look, I, I'd be crazy to say I'd rather have a 23-21 victory than a 20 to nothing victory. I mean, we wouldn't have any questions about our defense, but I have to give a lot of credit to Iowa State for fighting. They changed – um, what they were doing with Brock Purdy, who I am as big of a fan of as you'll see uh, out there. I, I think he's the best quarterback in the Big 12. Um, but I would take him at least over Ellinger, probably even over a, a, a Brewer. It's close. And really only one statistically that is far superior to him is a, is a Jalen Hurst playing on a loaded Oklahoma team. You're talking about a guy that for three quarters, Baylor kept hemmed in into the pocket. Purdy is exceptional, as good as any quarterback I've seen when he gets out of the pocket. Simply put, in the fourth quarter, the Bears lost contain. They they gambled a little bit more. They pinned their ears back and played a little bit more aggressive with the pass rush. That allowed the containment to break down. That allowed Purdy to keep those plays alive and find receivers down the field. Also had a little bit of bad luck. Some guys made great catches. They had a couple of uh, unfortunate face mask penalties, a holding penalty, some things happened that allowed Iowa State to finally break through. It snowballed a little bit, but Baylor answered. And this is now, I believe, the third uh, game-winning drive that Charlie Brewer has led them on. So I, I think offensively, we know, and the Bears know, and that staff knows, 
that if Baylor needs a drive to win the game at the end, they have 100% confidence that Charlie Brewer and that team can get it done. Well, and that doesn't include the drive against UT where he had two jump balls into the end zone. That would have been number four. And number five would have been his real first appearance against West Virginia when they had a uh, two-point conversion to tie it back in 2017. So he is very, very good at getting us in position, and that's really what I want to see from a quarterback getting you in position to win the game. He didn't need a touchdown. He needed a field goal. Baylor got in the field goal range. They uh, unfortunately had a sack or a negative play to kind of lose momentum and go into the end zone. But he kept the ball in field goal range, got it into, uh, got them into a good position, and they won. You would seriously take Brock Purdy over Jalen Hurts, Tim? I think I would. Jalen Hurts um, is, is exceptional. And I think he showed that he was a really good quarterback in Alabama are you telling me he is 10 to 20 times better simply because he wears a different shade of of red now it's it's Lincoln Riley it's the amount of skill talent that Oklahoma has it's incredible how much speed how much talent and how good Lincoln Riley is so yeah I I think it's an argument I, I can hear and understand the argument to take Hertz to take Brewers to take Ellinger or to take Purdy to me I, I would probably lean to Purdy because just just his 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 magic outside of the pocket, I, I absolutely am in love with. What do you think of Skylar Thompson and his season so far as we prepare to face him this Saturday? He is a guy that is at best a game manager. He he's going to um, not turn the ball, ball over. He doesn't have an interception on the season yet. He completes 60, 61% of his passes. Usually they're not down the field. This is a little bit different of a Kansas State attack. You know, under Bill Snyder, they really did stretch the field a lot more than a lot of fans expected. They were one of the biggest play uh, pass play offenses in the country under Bill Snyder. Really, when their play-action passes were working, they were running the ball, running the ball, and then doing an RPO or a play-action pass deep for big games. This year, they're, they're really focusing more on the underneath route and letting their guys go run after the ball. You're talking about their leading receiver has 10 catches. That's their top receiver. This isn't a passing attack. Skylar Thompson is a guy that's going to run the ball effectively. Um, he's very smart in the running game. He's their fourth leading rusher, and really it's, a, it's an attack that is designed to get their running backs into a positive script. If Baylor can stop them on first down for two yards or fewer, you're going to get them off the field because they need to be gaining three, four, five yards every single time to be able to keep those drives moving because they simply just don't have a very good passing attack. To be fair, you're talking about um, getting them in a bad position on first down. They've got five of their top six rushers averaging well over five yards a carry. How do you think Baylor's defense will fare against what is going to be a very good offensive front and some really talented ball carriers. I think that's the biggest question with this game. Really, Baylor to this point through four games in five weeks, they haven't really played even an average rushing attack. Kansas State is above average rushing attack. I don't think they're great. They're at least above average to good. This is going to be the stiffest test for this three-man front, which at times has been hurt by the running game last year when they were uh, uh, kind of experimenting a little bit with it. Kansas State was one of those teams that really gouged them last year on the run when they started to show more of that three-man front. Later in the year, they started to get more comfortable with it and started to be more effective. And in this offseason and throughout the, the year that we've seen so far, it's been exceptional against the run. But again, they have not faced a rushing attack like Kansas State yet. So that's my biggest question mark when it comes to Kansas State. If they're able to run the ball four and a half to five and a half yards, or, or worst case, even more than that, they're going to be able to control the tempo. They're going to be able to keep Charlie Brewer off the field. And if this is a, a thunderstorm, rainy type of game, that could be a big edge to Kansas State. Baylor's performance on the road against Rice, does that factor into any you know, worries that we have going up to Manhattan? To me, not at all. I mean, really, I think any team that finds themselves on the road for the first time has a lot of lessons to learn. I, I think we saw that in the first two and a half quarters against Iowa State. They didn't know how to handle things outside of Ames, Iowa. Baylor has experience outside of McLean Stadium. They went down to Rice. I definitely wouldn't call it a hostile environment, 
but they have worn their all-white uniforms. They have been outside of their comfort zone. Uh, they have gone through something that's not the norm, which you would find as the home team. So that experience, needless to say, the, the, the second half of that game was, was not ideal. But the first half, they dominated. Statistically, they should have been up probably two or three more scores. That first half was, was, was very good. The second half, Baylor tried to do some things. They really tried, I think, really try to call a game that would prepare them for Iowa State, that would prepare them for Kansas State. You want to talk about two attacks or two defensive-minded teams, Kansas State and Iowa State are two of the top probably three defensive teams in the conference joined by TCU. Maybe Baylor can be joining them as well. We'll be able to know a lot about that probably after the, uh, the Kansas State game if they've shut down that Kansas State rushing attack. You and I have been talking about Denzel Mims now in the third season of this podcast, and and he's a consistent topic of conversation. I remember you were excited about him even two years ago before he had proven much. Am I crazy for thinking that he still hasn't hit what he could be? Because I'm of the opinion that this season, just about every time he walks onto the field, he's going to be the most talented guy on the football field, but he's put up good numbers, you know, these last few weeks. What, what more am I wanting to see from Mims? Have you gotten that impression? Uh, I've gotten everything I've wanted to see from him this game. I mean, really, uh, throughout the four weeks, he's had one drop. That uh, that uh, first drive against Iowa State, he had that drop on third down, and really, I, I don't even know if I blame that on him because that ball really came up on him fast. Brewer had to take a half step. Um, and send that probably a half step too quick. So it caught up to him a little bit fast, and he let it get into his shoulder pads. That was a tough drop, but, but Mims probably needs to catch that. What I see is a guy that understands now that he is the best player when he steps onto the field every single game. Iowa State couldn't stop him. They had two, sometimes three guys rolling to him in the second half. That's one of the reasons why we saw Tyquan Thornton take off in that third quarter. And he had nine catches for, I think it was 118 yards in last quarter and a half of that game Thornton did. The reason why he did that is because Mims was drawing double coverage and a safety rolling over the top the entire second half. Baylor adjusted. They found Thornton. They peppered him with targets. Mims still had 15 targets. Thornton was second on the team with 14 targets. Those two guys really elevated. And to me, Mims could do anything that he wanted to. I mean, that jump ball on that first touchdown, he just abused that defensive back off the line of scrimmage. And then on the second touchdown, it was just a perfectly done uh, a, a double move, just like on the first scrimmage uh, play of the scrimmage uh, from the game, uh, uh, to open up with that 46-yard bomb to really put Baylor in field goal position, which they unfortunately missed. So Mims, to me, uh, he is the alpha of this offense. I, I wish Baylor would try and get him the ball more so that he could run after the catch a little bit. I think his big body could really be effective on those shallow crossing routes. Um, similar to how they used Thornton a little bit in that fourth quarter, that game-winning drive. Um, but find ways to get that man the ball any way that you can. Put him in the slot. Move him around. I, I think he is the alpha of this offense. I'm excited from what I'm seeing so far. I asked some listeners for feedback on Twitter this week, and I think the most talked-about subject amongst them was the running back group, as we're, you know, as we're talking about personnel. And I think... We underestimated how valuable Jalen Hurd was in the running game last year in some of those need three yards, need two yard type situations, right? And I think we understand Hasty, great in pass pro, but has not proven to be an explosive ball carrier. Ebner and Lovett, they both show these moments of brilliance and then can disappear. Obviously, there's a lot of questionable offensive line play, but I think a lot of people want to know, is there one back on this offense who's capable of taking over a game? I think each of them could have spurts. You know, all three of them are very, very different. Um, Lovett really should be the guy that is dominating those third and threes, fourth and two possessions. But ball security is and continues to be a problem for him. He's put the ball on the ground in very unfortunate situation, and that has hurt him. I thought he ran uh, with confidence against Iowa State. He ran 12 times for 52 yards, 4.3 yards per carry. You'll take that against a defense uh, that is as good as Iowa State. 
Uh, Hasty running the ball, he he just hasn't been very explosive at all. He's only running for three and a half yards a carry. He had another game or three rushes for ten yards. But you want to talk about a guy that that you need to pull pick up a blitz? I mean, he he's been sensational in pass pro. Ebner is probably the most electric of the three, especially in space. He bounces out uh, rushes too often, and his pass pro is definitely still a work in progress. Um, he he got. Uh, um, Charlie Brewer hit on two separate occasions, including on that last drive where he had to spin out and lost only a yard instead of getting sacked for five or six yards, simply because Abner didn't read the uh, protection right and blocked outside to in rather than inside to out. Um, I don't think any other three by design is going to be the guy that rushes the ball 15, 20, 30 times. That's just not going to happen. Uh, Matt Rule, Jeff Nixon, they want to get all three of those guys involved. And I can see the positives for that. I mean, I, I, I want to see John Lovett get 8 to 15 carries. I want to see Treston Ebner get 10 to 15 touches, some run, mostly pass. I, I think one thing that we haven't seen enough of is the involvement of the Bears running backs in the passing game. I think Ebner is so dangerous, and Hasty is very good in that. Lovett struggled a little bit in the passing game. His routes aren't that crisp. He lets the ball come into him a little bit too often. But Hasty and Ebner are very capable receiving backs with Ebner having so much juice when he gets the ball in the open field. Is there any chance, and it doesn't look like there is, but with Matt Rule, you never know when a player is going to make an unexpected appearance. Any chance an Abram Smith or a Squirrel Williams, if he gets back healthy, disrupts this backfield and becomes that guy at any point? I don't think anybody have the up, any of them have the upside to be that guy, quote unquote. But I do think um, a squirrel is going to come back and get five to eight touches a game. He's going to eat into the workload simply because he is the most electric and big play threat out of that backfield, and and that is definitely uh, a, a compliment when you're looking at a guy like Tristan Ebner sharing that backfield as well. Uh, uh, Craig Squirrel Williams is is so electric in the open field. So electric in space, really, the Kansas State game last year is when you saw him break out, uh, where he had two touches, including an electric 20, 30-yard touchdown run, where he just made a fool of a couple of Kansas State defensive players. And, and really um, wanting to redshirt him, limiting him to those four games, not utilizing him properly, I would say, in the Texas game where he just kind of went out there for a play that was called back by penalty, and then we didn't see him again. And then injuries kind of limited him from after that fact. But really... His emergence in the backfield is something I'm very interested to see just to give an, another spark to that Bears rushing attack. And, and honestly, if, if w- Craig Williams can't be it, I, I would love to see Josh Fleeks take on that role. I think we saw that on the end-around touchdown that he scored. Uh, I believe that was in the Rice game. Um, he can do some of that, and I think Tyquan Thornton can do some of that, even though Fleeks has a better body style for it. One thing that I've always wanted the Bears to do is be a little bit more diversified in what that rushing tack can look like, utilizing your wide receivers. You have some great athletes all over the field using Craig Williams, using Tress and Ebner as slot receivers, uh, and then motioning them back in, going to that five-wide set and putting Corey Coleman in the backfield uh, against Oklahoma and, and, and really running the ball down there with a wide receiver. The Bears can do that with guys like Josh Fleeks. They can do that with guys like Tress and Ebner. Yeah, but are Matt Rule and Jeff Nixon going to be that creative? I really thought so with the running game. I, I really thought so. I, I think there would be two um, two areas that I, I, I wish I could get more from, from, from Jeff Nixon and his offense. Number one, which I've been saying for three years, I wish he would use tempo more as a weapon. I understand the not doing a tempo and slamming, the, uh, slamming your foot on the pedal 100% of the time. I actually agree with it. But I think the Bears can use tempo. Um, more often than they are. Secondly, I do want a more diversified rushing attack. I think we saw a little bit of it start to emerge late last year. Maybe they just haven't installed it. Maybe they're, they're holding some back, even though I don't see the benefit of, the, of doing that with Iowa State game already past us. That was a must win for Baylor. Starting off 3-1 and 0-1 and in the Big 12, having the same murmurs that we did against Duke last year, losing the first quote-unquote real game that you had on your schedule. Baylor couldn't afford to lose this game. Um, they did. They won the game. They're 4-0. and They have a chance to go 5-0 and against a solid Kansas State team and come home for uh, a Texas Tech team that's scuffling a little bit in homecoming, try and get to 6-0 and and probably be a top 25 team at that point. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, I said before the season began that James Lockhart 
and Grayland Arnold were two guys that were going to have to take big steps forward this season if Baylor was going to have any success. And both guys have played tremendously. Uh, Arnold, obviously, at safety has looked like a brilliant move. I'm thinking, why wouldn't he there the whole time? How impressed have you been with those two guys? And is there anybody else on the defense that has surprised you this season? I think the biggest surprise for me has been Jordan Williams. Um, he was a guy that, to be 100% blunt, I gave a lot of crap to last year in private conversations. Um, he wasn't very good last year. He looked slow. Uh, he looked like a linebacker from 1997. Um, put a put a large uh, neck brace on him and and he's good to go. But in open space, he got abused. He's really playing so much faster. I, I don't know if he's actually faster. He looks it to me, but it might just be knowing the defense and knowing his role better. I mean, that interception he had against Iowa State, he, I really don't think he makes that play last year. I really don't think he makes it. Um, he's playing with confidence. He's playing like a senior that's in his last year. He's playing like a captain and leader of that defense. And, and that's been the biggest shock to me. Uh, but you're absolutely right. James Lockhart and Graylin Arnold have been fantastic this season. The, the move to change Graylin Arnold from a corner to a free safety was one that I was very, very happy with. Uh, from just getting a guy that can have some, some skills with the ball in the air at the safety position is something that Baylor has needed for the last few years. Being able to play in space and being able to come up and tackle was a question mark, and I think there's still a little bit of question marks about that with Arnold. I think we're going to see him answer that if he can this week against some bigger running backs for Kansas State. But his coverage has been exceptional, and really they've been so fast to the football. And, and I think the biggest complaint last year about the team is, is in certain key spots, they were really, really slow. Jordan Williams was one of those pieces. The safeties were slow, even though Chris Miller was so fast. He didn't know what he was doing. He was, he was playing a step too slow from a reactionary standpoint. This year, he see ball, hit ball, and that's what he does best. James Lockhart was a guy all throughout the spring camp and all throughout the fall camp I kept hearing great things about. Um, I heard that last year, too, and quite honestly, we didn't see it. He put a lot of pressure on himself to be that four-star stud and dominate the Big 12 coming from Texas A&M. He disappointed himself, and he disappointed a lot of the fans out there by not making a big, big impact. But, but uh, talking to Joey McGuire throughout the offseason, I kept asking, who's, who's the defensive end that's going to step up? Who's our second-best pass rusher outside of James Lynch? And without hesitation, McGuire and other coaches on the staff said, James Lockhart, James Lockhart. And, and really, we're, we're seeing that right now. He's been exceptional. His, his play uh, against Rice, I had him as the defensive player of the game. That was the best game he had as a Bear. And the game against Iowa State was pretty much the same. He was almost as good, if not better, being able to push the pocket back, use his strength, use his speed, and force a game-winning fumble to, to ice the game for the Bears. All right, so tell us how you see this Saturday going down. Man, I, I really wish I knew what the weather report would look like. I think right now it's 80% rain. If it's, a, if it's a stormy, rainy field, I think that negates Baylor's big advantage, and that's in the passing game. If, if it's raining and if it's a muddy field and nasty and ugly and windy, I, I think that really, really favors Kansas State. I think if in a neutral field, I think Baylor is a better team. Kansas State beat a, a very, at best, average Mississippi State team, and they might be bad. Uh, they're not a good football team. They beat them on the road. They did what they were supposed to do. I think the, uh, the shine has come off that victory as well. Uh, defensively, I thought they played pretty well against Oklahoma State, holding a very potent attack. Uh, to 26 points. Uh, right now, if I had to bet, I would say Baylor. Uh, I would say Baylor by four to six points. I think this is a one-score game. Uh, something, uh, I don't know, like 21-27. Uh, uh, something like that for the Baylor fans. But if it's, if it's raining and nasty, I think this could be a, 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 a 13 to seven game in Kansas State edging it out. Finally, how big of a deal is it? And, I mean, everybody's pretty much saying it's huge, but I want your thoughts before we go. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this. How huge is it to sign Matt Rule through 2027 and, you know, into March of 2028? You know, obviously, if the right NFL team came calling and paying up, you know, there's no guarantee he'd stay. But, I mean, how huge is that that they went ahead and got that done? 
I think there, there's a couple of there's two major benefits for it. Number one, on the field. Number two, off the field. Guys on the field, their parents know that he's going to be their coach. And I think you know, I I, I don't look at this as a through a 2027. I more view this as this is going to make that buyout prohibitive for the next two or three seasons. And really, that's what you want. You want two or three years to know that this 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 man is going to be your coach. And I think that allows them on the field to have confidence, the players to know that, hey, this is our man. We're going to fight for him. We're going to bleed for him. We're going to work for him. So I think that's a definite benefit for this year. Big picture, though, this really helps off the field. This helps with the recruiting. Just make no mistake, um, rivals in purple, rivals in uh, maroon, rivals in burnt orange were definitely saying that Matt Rule is not going to be your coach in two years if you go to Baylor University. They were using that time and time again as a negative recruiting tool and tactic. Now Matt Rule has a bigger thing to put against that and say, no, I'm here to stay. And we have heard uh, through the grapevine, through rumors, that, that Matt Rule wants to stay until his, his kids are, are through high school. That's a couple years away, and that would take him through 2027 for sure. I think the staff changes that he has made, bringing a longtime friend and mentor, Ed Foley, who's as Philadelphia and Temple as it gets, having him relocate to Waco, in an off-the-field role, that's not something you do if you're going to be leaving next season. That's To me, that was the biggest aha moment before this extension. I don't know if he brings Ed Foley here to do an off-the-field role, similar to what Marcus Satterfield did last year, because the next opening that Baylor has, Ed Foley's probably going to be getting it, just like Marcus Satterfield did last year. That's a multi-year play. That's a multi-year promise to him. And, and, and to me, that's the biggest benefit is, is Baylor probably has their coach for at least the next two or three years. And hopefully he's winging it up. And, and best case, you know, he wins 10, 11, 12 games and he does get hired by the NFL. That's the best case scenario, I think, for everybody because that makes him happy. That makes Baylor staff and friends happy. That gets us a lot of money from a buyout. And quite honestly, we're probably going to go shop, shopping in the A-plus bin when it comes to head coaches at that point. That's all I've got for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoy watching the matchup against Kansas State. If any of you are going to be in Manhattan, would you fire me a tweet? I'd love to talk to you next week on the podcast about what that environment's like. I've never actually been, just seen it on TV and heard stories. So if you go to Manhattan this week and you're a listener, let's get you on the podcast next week. Otherwise, God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check them out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.